Welcome to What's My Thesis. I'm your host, Javier Proenza. Every week, my guests and I share the answers we found to the questions we have. Join us as we explore and expand our worldview through research and ask, what's my thesis? And today, my guest is uh, Molly Parmer. And uh, there's a few things. You, I mean, I'm excited because you, you apparently have an art-related topic, so that's very cool. But um, I, I kind of just became aware of you. I think I don't even know, but mostly because of the things of the of like the things that you you post and the insights that you have. And then there's a few things that I think are kind of fun because uh, your godfather. Who's your godfather? Well, this is, well, okay. So my godfather, but it's not like in a formal way, right? Oh, okay. The very informal, fun thing is Tommy Chong of Kitchen Chong. But the reason I even know him is a familial connection that is tied to the relevance of art in my everyday work. Oh, okay, cool. And so the people that don't aren't familiar with your work, you are a uh, criminal, criminal defense attorney. And I find that fascinating right now because my whole experience growing up has been either you guys are the greedy villains, you know, or the heroes that step in. There's very little in between in, in terms of Hollywood representation of what you guys do. And when I start, I, I must have just seen something that you wrote and then been like, okay, and then you, there's also this like you, you <laughs> I, have I ever seen you in a pantsuit? You don't wear pantsuits, do you? I smart, smart man. No, I am always <laughs> in a skirt. Yeah, always in a skirt. Okay, and and and, and you, like there's a there's a very badass. I've definitely noticed, picked up on on art uh, being a, a a part of uh, your identity. But what I like, what I'm interested in is that there's this really interesting fight the system and like I'm not a small person branding that happens that I find really like kind of badass because you pull out some shit that is really like, you know, like. Radical. I'm a radical. Yeah, you're a radical. Okay. Uh, would you say that you're a leftist? What, 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 uh, no. Okay. I would say I'm a liberal, but not a leftist. Well, not it's all liberal? complicated. It's, uh, yeah, I, I believe in, I mean, I believe in classically liberal ideologies, but I also okay. very much philosophically, um, I guess, suspect of the government. Okay. So, so I, you know, my, my philosophy is fairly independent, but I like liberal thought. I like freedom of speech. I like freedom to be yourself. Um, but politically, you know, I'm a little bit all over the map. I'm, you know, I'm independent in every single sense of the phrase, right? <laughs> it's, it seems like you're saying that you take things issue by issue, essentially. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as a criminal defense lawyer, we fight the government, right? So yes. I take that kind of to its fullest in terms of my politics as well. I don't like government involvement. I think when it comes to a crime, involving the government doesn't make a bad situation better, right? So that's kind of my yeah. philosophy and framework. But okay. it's funny that you, you've picked up on all of these things about my approach and my image, and yet you don't realize that it all stems from, in fact, what? an artist. <laughs> oh, oh, so you are an artist? You're a painter? You're, or, what, do you, what kind of art do you do? Sorry, I just... No, it comes from another artist. I'm a product of a fairly well-known artist. Oh, who's who's the artist? So this is going to be my thesis for you okay. today. It was be the role of this artist and the influence of this artist and his art on everything that I do as a criminal defense lawyer. Okay, so, so yeah, let's get into it. That's <laughs> that's that's great. So, well, who's the artist? So my dad is Skip Williamson. He's an underground cartoonist from the late '60s. He oh, okay. illustrated Abby Hoffman's Steal This Book. He oh, was Oh shit, uh, okay. <laughs> he's an underground right. cartoonist like Robert Crumb and Jay Lynch and Art Spiegelman and Skip Williamson. Okay. So he was like a stay-at-home dad and he raised me and he's incredibly anarchistic, anti-authoritarian. He was in the the riots at the 1968 Democratic Convention. He attended every day of that trial of the Chicago 7. And he was a wow. very prolific, prolific artist. And so all, all that you see when you, when you see me and you interpret me, it uh -huh. stems from this very psychedelic, anti-authoritarian kind of figure that was, you know, a behemoth in my 
childhood and adolescence, right? <laughs> That's so exciting. Okay. okay so I, now I mean, I'm I, art podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So, okay. So, I mean, I had picked up on your dad being a, a big influence. I just didn't know who he was. So, um, well, I mean, there is, uh, an interesting thing there. So I would say it sounds like, like going back just to touch up that you are for small government, but then you're talking about all these leftists. So it's an interesting, I, I, I appreciate that. Like, and when I tried to, I, I do that a lot. I try, I, I see how people fight things and I always make it like from my perspective, you know, so it's always interesting to hear how people define, Oh, <laughs> how people define themselves, you know, like, uh, I, that's, this isn't the first time that that happens, but okay. So, um, and the other thing that I find interesting is the idea of being a liberal. So, okay, let's get into it. Uh, because I feel like um, the Aaron Sorkin movie just came out. I don't know. Do you, are you, or do you like that version of this, the retelling? Because under, my understanding is that it, there's a lot of uh, revisionism there to sort of make, uh, like, because I feel like, Abby Hoffman was more of a, a anti-authoritarianism, like you're like from the vein of what you're saying. Fight the government. He wants their like, you know, like the the whole thing of the the trial was that they were just making a mockery of it, right? Whereas I think that my underst I haven't watched the the Sorkin thing, but I listened to a podcast about Sorkin. That, or about uh, The West Wing, which <laughs> is a very problematic, politically problematic show that apparently, like, so uh, in, in terms of, like, bowing down to, to authority and, uh, you know, all of that. So anyway, I'm really excited. I just wanted to get that context because I do think that uh, a lot of people may have watched that movie and may not really understand the full scope of, like, who Abby Hoffman was and how yeah. radical he was. So radical, I think, is the key. Uh, overlap between us, and and I, I I do think that there's a lot of bloat in government in terms of like uh, you know for obvious military military industrial complex reasons yeah. and stuff like that. So anyway, I'll let you talk. Go ahead, well, take me on this journey. Okay, cool. So I was so yeah. I mean, it's interesting. The trial of the Chicago Seven coming out was interesting because it helped kind of the masses better understand where I come from because this is something that I was raised on. It was a big part of like our family narrative and growing mm -hmm. up in the eighties. So here's what's interesting. Abby Hoffman, you know, he kind of, a lot of these guys from that, that period of time rejected those ideals as they moved through life. Like, um, you know, who is it? Ruben became a stockbroker, right? Yeah. <laughs> and my parents did not reject those ideas. They held on to them. So I'm growing up in the eighties with parents who are straight 60s throwbacks and nobody gets what I'm what I'm bringing right everyone is like this is a very strange girl right because yeah, yeah. the 80s and you know everyone's kind of corporate and money making and if you were a hippie you rejected all of that and got a job my parents yeah. didn't right it was still bohemian squalor they stay you know? yippies yeah and yeah. instead know, of turning into yuppies well, so my dad was a yippie. He was part yeah. of the yippies with Abby. And yeah, you're right. I mean, it was, I mean, I think there was an element of mockery because my dad is a humorist. He's a cartoonist, Abby Hoffman. Yeah. He's a comedian. So, and you know, they did funny things like they were putting up a pig for president, Pegasus. Like that's kind of consistent with my dad's political philosophy and mine too. Like, I just can't give politicians too much credence. Like they're not going to save, politics is not going to save us, right? Like yeah, public thank vendors, God. good school teachers, you know, we're good, that, that's what, that, that's, those are the only things that can save us, right? So yeah. I think that approach of like, this is, this is a mockery is something that I was raised with, but the time period was such that I was, you know, nobody got this. <laughs> and in yeah, the 80s yeah, yeah, yeah. and 90s, everyone's like, you're strange. Well, now at least I can point to a major blockbuster Oscar nominated movie and people have some frame of reference. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. And obviously it's about a federal trial, which is the work that I do. I do federal criminal defense. So I think there's a connection there. But yeah. I was going to show you some art that I have. Okay, for sure. Uh, yeah. Even though it's a podcast, I'll describe it, right? Yeah, yeah, no, no. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad we're on board. All right, let's do this. Yeah, I'll describe it. So... 
so my dad, um, so a lot of these guys from the late 60s, um, a big part of their kind of revolutionary approach was doing art, right? So they were making what's called underground comics, like Robert Crumb, Mr. Natural, and Jay Lynch, and the fabulous Furry Freak Brothers. And they were making these little zines, and they all were hanging out, and they had been friends since they were really little. Like, they met through Mad Magazine and started being pen pals and drawing comics together when they were in grade school. Mm. And so they were a big part you know, you had culture and you had art and you had music and you had comics. And my dad had, it was friends with Abby and illustrated steal this book. Um, and the illustrations are like police brutality, right? So this yeah, yeah, same yeah. theme that obviously you, you saw resonates through a lot of my like social media and a lot of my, my kind of, you know, marketing and, and statements that I make to the public. It's the same stuff from 50 years ago, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Concept of like aggressive, police and violence and racism and all of this. This is like what I've heard, you know, as a young kid growing up, it's nothing new to me. Um, I'm glad everyone else is now finally tuning in, right? To these, <laughs> issues, to these issues that have been pervasive in the system. So when everybody got arrested, my dad was not arrested. He was in the riots, he wasn't arrested. But what he did was he attended every day of the trial and he sat in the courtroom and he did sketches of everybody and made a comic book and then sold it. It's called Conspiracy Capers. He sold it to raise money for their legal defense. So he was very involved with all of that. And yeah. he's like, I mean, he is like a, a jokester, right? He's like a prankster. So he would tell, like, you're not, you know, it was a very limited, you know, only a few people could come in the courtroom. And he told the bailiff that he's like Abby Hoffman's sister. I mean, he's, you know, there was a lot of this kind of approach. Like it was a bit of a joke, right? I know it was a bit yeah. of a joke because they didn't believe in it, but he, um, he did all of this for like really cool art. So here's all of his courtroom sketches. This oh, is cool. Very Rubin, right? Let's see. Here's Abby Hoffman down here. So these are <laughs> courtroom sketches. Here's uh, here's Lady Justice. She's blind. It's the court. So real cool, yeah. like kind of psychedelic art. And then what book his, is that? What book is that that you're holding up? This is an anthology of his oh, work. Okay. He always just self-published. But um, this is called. This is one. Of his, his anthology is called The Scum Also Rises. <laughs> Very political here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. A photo of uh, a monster who's holding up masks of Reagan and Nixon and. Um, you know, Castro and everybody, very political. But um, nice. his main his main slogan, which he had tattooed on his arm, was smash the state, right? Okay. And so he, this is from like 1968. This is his main character who is named Sna Snappy Sammy Smoot. He was like a country bumpkin who comes to the city and learns a lot of things. And he says, don't forget to smash the state, kids. And this is, you can see like, <laughs> You know, I think police brutality, the media, all of these. This is from 1968. It's the same stuff, different day. I think I've heard that. Don't forget to smash the state. Like I think yeah. that 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 resonates. In, um, so yeah. that 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 art and that man who was my father, very yeah. much shaped me into becoming somebody who goes into a federal trial setting all the time, like the trial of the Chicago Seven and fights against federal prosecutors for my clients. So that's the connection. And it does have an art hook, which- Yeah, no, that's really cool. Is, right? <laughs> and actually that, that's the whole thing with uh, that, that whole trial is such an interesting, because I like, I mean, that is very much, I see specifically how that can be influential, right? If, if for yeah. you specifically, but they, the whole thing was to make a mockery of the proceedings and make the state look bad by way of like just getting public support. Like it, it was the first uh, media campaign, you know, like where where people were at, at using public support against like the ridiculousness of the state. So that that is really fascinating to to hear. So what what so like what kind of. Um, I mean, I've, I've been waiting to drop this, but you you are represent you represent sort of like uh, I think Joe Exotic is one of the people that you're that you're on his team. They, I didn't know this when we when I booked you, <laughs> but when I saw you post about that on Instagram, so I, we don't have to talk about uh, him specifically. I although say I'm sure. that I am I am part of the brain trust, right? The brain so trust. He was, he was prosecuted in federal court, and federal court is you know it's its own animal. 
And I'm, oh. I'm pretty well known for my skills in federal court. I teach at the law school uh, at Emory Law. I teach a class about trying a case in federal court. So I have this academic side and he's represented by a pretty, you know, powerhouse firm in Florida. But, um, you know, I do, cons- I'm a consultant basically okay. when it comes to some of the issues and in federal criminal court, right? All right. But then you also, but, but in, in general, you sort of, you're, you're looking for, because uh, I do think that that guy <laughs> deserves his day in court. <laughs> right? What do you mean? Oh, you mean that he should be in jail? Is that what you're saying? No, no. I, 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 I'm, I'm pro appealing his case because it does seem like he kind of got set oh up in this God. really fucked up way. I mean, he well, did bad they... things, but like what he's gone down for, you know. Anyway, <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I'm not going to talk. Uh, in terms of specifics, but I can say that, you know, what's interesting to me and the reason that I got involved and um, I think made my interest clear was because when you have these federal prosecutions, you have just so much power, right? And so much, mm. so many resources. This is the feds. He was prosecuted in Oklahoma. Okay. There's just not a lot going on. And so yeah, for yeah. them to take down somebody, I attributed a lot to his personality. Like he was basically, you know, prosecuted not for his conduct, not for hardcore criminal conduct, but yeah. because he was such a kind of, you know, he was a character and they didn't know what <laughs> to do with that. But if he was more subdued, if he had yeah. a different personality, would they have come after him so aggressively? Are we yeah. choosing who we throw the book at based on how they dress and music videos that they make? That worries me. <laughs> that worries me for our federal government that because somebody is you know, um, <laughs> what's the word, you know, flamboyant, exotic, exactly. <laughs> that that makes them a good candidate for a really aggressive federal prosecution. Yeah. I don't like that. And I think it is analogous to what they did with the trial of the Chicago seven. When the feds come in, they decide to throw the book, they can throw the book. And I yeah. just think that it should be a bit more, discriminating in terms of, you know, who they decide to go after. It's often not people that you would think really need the weight of a federal prosecution pushed against them. It's people that yeah. are a bit more harmless, I would say. And he wasn't even the most sinister in that whole situation, right? Like, <laughs> in you know, terms of... Was, you know, I think when you, if you want to talk about who's sinister, I think oftentimes it's those who are, you know, federal agents or the prosecutors themselves yeah. or, you know... The, that if you have all that power, power corrupts. And yeah. I just think that if you look at these people as just doing the right thing and enforcing our laws, I mean, you're foolish to think that. It's much well, more manipulative, you know. Actually, that. it's it's funny that you say that because uh, yesterday I work a, at a retailer uh, that sells instruments and yesterday <laughs> there was, oh, sorry, that was a weird echo. Yesterday there was this incident where um, like all of a sudden all these cop cars pass in front of the the store, right? Like enough to be alarming, (laughs) right? And then eventually they come into the store and it's a whole, like it's the, what was, it it left me affected, not, I wouldn't say traumatized, but I was like, yo, that was kind of fucked up. Like it didn't make me feel good because they all came in with these really fancy guns and they had them kind of like, uh, one of my coworkers had it pumped at him and and they were just coming in to make sure that the person wasn't hiding there and there was a sense like i was in a good position because i was clearly standing somewhere where i was an employee but right. i think that the other the other coworkers were like were not necessarily and so hearing their side of how it went down it was crazy and they would look like they were just having fun but they were it was it was terrifying to that they like you know huge shotguns all of this shit so i I, you know i definitely think you know uh, joe exotic aside like there that was like an appetizer to get into the real meat of where i knew we would end up is uh it's sort of you know there is a lot of fucked up shit and and you do say something that i really appreciate which uh i i i I took a screen grab of it, but I, I'm not going to bother looking for it, but because I'm sure you can paraphrase it. But uh, about how, you know, uh, th- th- there's this sort of effort to dehumanize Chauvin, right? Sort and and 
obviously we want him to be found guilty. I, I'm assuming that you agree with this, that, that we want him to be found guilty if he is guilty. But the idea that he stopped being a human just because he's guilty or you had a, a different spin on it. But that was my my paraphrase and my take on it. Can you right. get into Can you t- yeah. t- sort of t- speak on that a little bit? Well, you know, I, what I said and what I think people have gotten a little bit wrong, in my opinion, as we look at this case, is that there was a sentiment that why are we even having a trial? Like he yeah. shouldn't have a trial, you know, and my philosophy in dealing with these huge issues in our criminal legal system. If we don't give due process to a cop, do you think that any marginalized person, any person who's oppressed or already doesn't get due process is ever going to get it? So what we should be doing is looking at the system and demanding more due process for those who can't pay a $200 bond, for those who are pretextually stopped and searched. We need more due process. But I don't like saying, well, don't give him any due process. I want more due process for everybody, particularly those who haven't had it, the black and brown community, the poor. I mean, those people need what he got and was entitled to, which is a full and fair trial. I mean, was it full? Was it fair? There's some arguments that maybe it wasn't because of the pretrial publicity and all of that. But the point is, I want everybody to have fairness in the system, which I do think that he got. And he was found guilty and he'll be sentenced. It's pretty interesting. I think his sentencing exposure is pretty um, short in terms of the period of time, especially relative to other states. It'll be interesting to see how that goes down. But I, I would never say that the solution is to not have a trial for Derek Chauvin. That's yeah. not the solution to the huge problems that plague our system. Yeah. And and I think that that's sort of the challenge there. Because okay, here's the weird thing about the whole thing uh, for me. And obviously, this is like a horrible fucking thing. And I've never felt worse about anything that I've seen on television in my entire life. Right? Uh, it, it, um, but... This is one of the first times where, to some degree, there's accountability for this horrible thing. And we've been thinking of injustice, right, every time that it doesn't, that, that, that accountability doesn't happen. And we've hit this place where it's just this empty feeling. We're not used to being here and, and, and co- coming to terms with the fact that, like, oh, this doesn't make it okay right and and then uh so uh, thoughts on that and then the other thing uh is what what is it what do you feel about this like sacrificial lamb sort of thing so so that the system can keep going like uh, uh, i'm curious to hear your take on that so go ahead well i just don't want to applaud a system like for bringing down a verdict when the system has so many structural problems. I mean, the the criminal system, I don't even call it a criminal justice system. I call it the criminal system, criminal legal system. Like there's so much that needs to be done that I'm not going to say, oh, congratulations, good job, criminal system, because somebody got due process and there was a conviction when the facts uh, seemed to lead toward the potential for a conviction. Now, yes, 30 years ago with OJ, we were very surprised. 36 years before that, Emmett Till, I guess we weren't surprised, but it certainly was not justice. So do we have a a pattern in our country of handing down harsh verdicts for certain people, but not for police? Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, to be honest, I've represented police and they are hard to convict. And I have won cases, unlawful use of force cases when I'm the defense lawyer, you know? And um, they were different than of course, Derek Chauvin and the death of George Floyd. They were radically different than that, but still, Every prosecutor who tries these cases knows that it's hard to convict a cop, right? So we convicted a cop. So the system did its job this time. I just don't want to applaud it and like wave a flag and be so happy that it happened when we have so far to go in terms of true reform, which is needed in the criminal system. So I I don't feel, you know, I think of what you're describing, this letdown and the fact that he was like a sacrificial lamb and now he's so emblematic of change. Let, okay, good. I'm, it ha, you know, it is what it is. I'm glad that there was some accountability. I don't think yep. it's justice. And I think moving forward, don't accept this as, okay, well, now we're evolved. We need to fix pretrial detention. We need to fix Fourth Amendment issues. We need to, 
we need to have a cop who takes the stand for the prosecution, testifying against somebody to also be held with relative skepticism. We need to get to a point where we realize that any time in a trial, if there's an officer there, he shouldn't be held in any higher regard than a citizen. And that's a hard concept, right? So maybe this is a step in the right direction, but I'm never gonna stand up and cheer and feel happy for the criminal system in America. You know? <laughs> so what would you think, so you, you bring up reforms, what, what uh, my, my first, I mean, I have so many questions. So let's start with that one. Go ahead. Well, here's the thing. I don't do systemic litigation, right? I don't do that. That's not the kind of lawyer I am. I don't sue jails. I'm not a policy person. I don't push legislation. I don't change the law. I work within the framework. Okay. okay. So sometimes when I think things, they are a bit more philosophical, but I'm, my role is I take this little broken system I come in and if I do anything to this person I represent, you come for me. <laughs> and so that's, you know, I don't think like I'm waiting for the system to be reformed so then I can get involved. Like I'm already here, it's messed yeah, up, yeah, yeah. but I'm not leaving. And so yeah. I think like, you know, things that I think that we could actually do, um, I don't like the idea of cash bail. So in the federal system, one thing that I think works really well is we did the Bail Reform Act. We had the Bail Reform Act. And I think it's from maybe the 80s, but basically we don't give you a monetary bond if you can't afford it. This idea of, oh, you have a bond, but you have no money, you don't have a bond, you're trapped, right? So in the federal system, either you get a bond or you don't. And if you are given a bond to get out, you only get a bond that you can afford. So a lot of my clients get signature bonds. They don't pay anything. They sign their name and they're released from custody because the judge decided it was worth releasing them, right? Yeah. In the state system, especially here in Georgia, you have so many people in jail, complete loss of freedom. They haven't been proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. I mean, is that due process at all? No, poor people sitting in jail on a misdemeanor on a $500 bond that they can't pay because they're poor, losing their jobs, losing their home, losing everything and not even guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Pre-trial detention and having cash bonds to me is one of the really egregious things in our system that we could change because it just targets the poor, right? It's just yeah. it's just against the poor. If you're rich, you know, you can get on out. So that that's an area that I've always thought is just in grave need of reform. And it's almost simplistic, right? You give somebody bond conditions. If they violate the bond conditions, they go back to prison. That's it. You know, I never thought of it, but it's almost like uh, your body is being towed, you know, in, in a, and, and put in a tow yard. Like, I mean, you're just yeah. not a human anymore, uh, which right. is which is kind of fucked up. Yeah. Um, so, OK. Yeah, I was worried I was going to forget my all my other questions because now I'm like just digesting that. But. I mean, other reforms, I think, you know, the war on drugs has been a failure. I think the amount of people we have in custody for marijuana is abhorrent. I can't believe that that's what's going on. You know, I think the work of the last prisoner project, I did a case with them. They are trying to get out everybody who's currently serving life to the door will die in prison for marijuana. I mean, the fact that there are people mm. like that still in custody is insane. While so many states are profiting, like the one you live in are profiting off of this plant. I mean, those kind of things are really basic. And I, I guess yeah. I always thought that by 2021, we might, might be a bit more evolved when it comes to the war on drugs. But look, marijuana is schedule one in the federal system under you know the Controlled Substances Act, which hasn't been updated since the Nixon era, right? So it's schedule one. So the most harmful, no medicinal value, and cocaine mm -hmm. is schedule two, some medicinal value, right? I mean, that's completely logical, oh, <laughs> right? So where's that reform? That's one that we could do on the federal level. Yeah. I'm just waiting for that one, you know? I guess for, you know, CEOs, there's some additional value. It takes the edge <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. Do it for the CEOs. Yeah, Read yeah. The CEOs. Yeah, I always like my dad, he did a lot of art for like the pot fest and stuff. And he always used re-legalize marijuana rather than decriminalize. He would oh, re-legalize, yeah. you know, because it's just a plant that was legal for so long. But, you know, definitely the Controlled Substances Act and kind of the, the late, again, it's kind of the 60s and the war on drugs and the fear of the youth movement that my dad was a part of is what kind of caused all of that really harsh legislation in marijuana. Yeah. I And... 
to me it's kind of interesting though the the that that whole like going back to that cultural uh movement and and the difference between yippies and um and what's it called and yuppies right like uh <laughs> the, the the sense of growing up and, and all of that so like as a kid you're you're in this scene you're are you're going to uh, are you going to protests and whatnot are you um well again it's the 80s so yeah, I'll show you. I I also have this piece. So this is uh this is me as a toddler. It looks so. My dad was very psychedelic, right? So all of okay. his all of his work is like all of his painting is really bright psychedelic, cartoony colors, acrylic on canvas or wood. So this is me. It looks just like me, as you can see. <laughs> Name, hair, and eyes. This is me as a little girl. And, you know, my life was very much like we didn't have any money because my parents were just artists, right? They didn't have jobs, mm. more or less. And we had like, it was very artistic. So we would have art supplies everywhere and like books everywhere, but we had no technology. So mm. it was very kind of like a throwback. But in the 80s and the 90s, that's not really, it was incredibly um, not conventional, right? Like I never had a CD player. I never had a computer in the 90s but we had a lot of art. And then in terms of protests, I was taken to a lot of like the million marijuana marches, things that my dad was doing art for. But overall, the 80s was not a time of anti-government protests, right? Like, yeah. There was just, there weren't a lot going on. People were kind of into, you know, structure and success and everybody, like you said, all of the yippies had become yuppies. So my life was more very artistic, very bohemian, very starving yeah. artist, but it was not, I mean, we were kind of just in our house and laying low and being <laughs> eccentric and strange, I think, to the outside world. Did you ever get to meet Hoffman? Well, I don't, no, I think, you know, he had, some mental health issues later in life and i don't really know kind mental of mental health you know, issues quote unquote he got fucking yeah. beat down by the system <laughs> right right <laughs> you know, exactly like, yeah, yeah like he's uh let's yeah. be fair to him that uh you, right. you i think that that there's definitely a lot of burnout right for for people like that where we're uh um, oh, yeah my dad too for sure yeah yeah, yeah for and sure. just look at look at assange uh what uh, what they're doing to fucking him? It's just oh, yeah. it's 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 insane. Do you have any it thoughts is. on that? So let, let's pin down your expertise before you get into that, so that I don't keep asking you questions that are outside of your realm. You work in uh, in it, it, you tell me what what kind of law you do. Federal like, it, criminal defense mostly. I'm a trial lawyer. Criminal. I do some cases in the state system, but mostly felonies, high stakes cases. I do a lot of white collar. Um, and I, like I said, I teach at the law school at Emory Law, and I do a lot of uh, legal analysts, like media work too. So I'm on court TV okay. once a week. Um, and I do, you know, I, I kind of give breakdowns of my thoughts on current, uh, criminal cases across America. Yeah. So, so uh, you, you, you're essentially a pundit as well, right? Uh, legal analyst. Legal analyst. Oh, pundit is a dirty word. I'm sorry. I, I... <laughs> pundit is a dirty word. <laughs> Ooh, I don't like to offend my guests. No, um, I, you can't offend me. That's one of the good no, things. No, no, no. I'm people. kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but um, so, okay. So then when you're, when you're dealing with white collar cases, like what, what kind of collar, what white collar cases? Because uh, let's let's try to pin down some of your more uh, less popular uh, guests uh, or uh, um, clients. clients, right? So so that we can see the full spectrum of your rebellious radicalness. Well, <laughs> I mean, here's the thing: is that I was a public defender for eight years before I started uh -huh. my law firm. So I've represented people from all walks of life. I was a public defender at the state level, and then I was a federal defender. And you just represent whoever you get handed, right? And so I think when you do that for almost a decade, it kind of changes your approach. Like it would take a lot for me. I mean, I, I turned down cases for reasons that are not any sort of moral or character judgment on the person, right? Like, I really don't care what you did. I don't, okay. I don't, I think there's a huge difference between law and morality. And just because somebody breaks the law and furthermore gets caught, right? Or is selectively prosecuted. That, that doesn't make me think, oh, I mean, you just can't, you can't do this. You cannot do this work. And uh -huh. 
look at potential clients and say, I don't like what you did. You know, like I like people that break laws. I'd rather be around lawbreakers than like squares and uptight people. <laughs> like those people, I hate those people, right? Like I yeah. hate rule followers and tattletales. And I, you know, I would rather be around somebody who's bold and interesting and fearless enough to say, you know what, I don't care that it's illegal. I'm going to do it. Right. Yeah. So I, my philosophy as it comes, as it relates to my clients is like, I haven't found anybody that when I meet them, I'm like, Oh no, I don't, you know, I'm not going to defend you. This is where I draw the line. Like uh-huh. I basically, if the government's coming at you, I will consider taking the case and fighting against them, irrespective of the facts. But yeah, white collar, it's a lot of um, wire fraud, money laundering. I have some cool money laundering cases it's people, you know, fraud, <laughs> fraud. Scheme. Money launderers are heroes now, according to Hollywood. So they, they have See? a better rep. Yeah. You know, there's the Ozarks. There's the, you know, so <laughs> you're not going to lose anyone yeah. from there. I will say that there are certain, you know, kind of projects. Well, Ozarks filmed here in Georgia. You know, we have like Hollywood is here now. But um, I thought Ozark did a pretty good job. Like that's actually factually pretty similar to people that I represent. So you mm-hmm. Oftentimes you get a case where somebody is connected to a cartel, washing money and moving drugs, and they are your all-American family man, and you would never Mm. know it. So I thought Ozark did a really nice kind of portrayal in like teaching the son how to count them. I mean, I've had a case almost identical to that. Whoa, okay. I just think that you never know, like people I represent, you may think they're these dark, nefarious, bad, kind of, you know, crazy people. Oh no, they're just <laughs> like the man next door, right? Or the woman next yeah. door. So, you know, I, it's just, I and think, I think who I represent, yeah. If I can so. be the moral voice here and sure, not, 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 ju- not, not judgmental, but just, you know, as the, as the moral interpreter uh, for, for the audience, I actually think that that's an interesting, like philosophically, that's interesting uh that's an interesting person to protect from the government who is creating the, it, the problem in the first place right with the war on drugs they wouldn't need to like the it, um cartels wouldn't be such a big industry right so they're yeah, just play- so so the so it's almost arbitrary that um that that like you're you you know <laughs> that, I have that, to that they're breaking the law, case. right? I wouldn't yeah. have to defend the drug trafficking case if they just legalize all the drugs, right? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, okay, so do you have anything a little bit more sinister? <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. I have a lot of, uh, you know, um, violent oh sex crimes, violent crimes. I do a lot of those. Okay. Um, you know, sex crimes, I think, are interesting, kind of like drug crimes, because um, I don't know if our system, I mean, a lot of times you're dealing with some deep-seated, so a lot of my clients are victims themselves, right? So you're dealing yeah. with these deep-seated issues of their own trauma, and they never were paraded in front of a jury to testify against their abuser, but lo and behold, now they're an abuser. So we're going to throw them away, you know, rather than getting sometimes, I think, treatment, both in the drug arena and in the sex crime arena is grossly underused, right? Like, so if we have people who are committing crimes, maybe addressing some of these root issues makes for a better society rather than just having someone serve a 30 year prison sentence for doing something that is sexual abuse that was done to them, right? I just think that everything is, is complex and nuanced. And when you actually get to meet people and you have like client confidentiality and you sit across from them and you say, tell me everything, you know, and you start focusing on mitigation and how to tell their story to a judge or a jury, you realize that these people, it's, they're just so much more than that moment in time, that second when they committed an offense. They actually have probably a lot of harrowing, terrible things that happened to them. And most people just look at what they're accused of and they don't even think about how they got there, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I do, I do a lot of sex cases. Um, I represent a lot of younger kids. I do some, I used to do juvenile work a lot. And now I represent a lot of, in Georgia, 17 is an adult. So I have clients that are 17 and 18 and they have to go to big boy jail or prison. And, you know, I don't think, I think when your brain is not fully developed and you make impulsive decisions and you, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word, you're kind of like a stupid little kid. I don't think that you should be treated the same as somebody who's 35 and their prefrontal cortex is fully developed and they know 
every second of what they're doing, that they're doing yeah. it, right? So oftentimes the facts of the cases may seem really bad, but it's actually the circumstances, I think, that provide a bit better perspective of my job and those yeah. I represent. Well, I, I mean, do Julian Assange, you would ask about Julian Assange. I think, you know, that's an example of just like government overreach, right? Like really like throwing the book at somebody. And obviously I'm, you know, I, I think it's just, I'm shocked that more people aren't really aware and on board with what has happened to him, right? But that was, that conduct I think is, I guess, well, it kind of depends on who you talk to, but that conduct is less egregious, right? Like what, publishing WikiLeaks? Is that the extent of it? I mean, I, I like think one that, of the most important things that has happened in my lifetime, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, actually, all right, two things. First, because uh, I, I do want to keep talking about Assange, but I do want to interject this. It sounds like your main priority, and I, and I really respect this from this standpoint, is rehumanizing people. And I think that that is one of the, like, I'm a huge true crime fan. I'm very uh, fascinated in all of that uh, uh, which is another reason that you're on the show, probably, and I never even thought of. But, um, but one of the things that I also th that I always think about is that, like, we like to just marginalize these uh, um, these people that do horrible things as subhuman, right? Like people like Ed Gein and uh, and and all of these people. But it's almost like we're in denial of what humanity is when we do that. It's like a compartmentalization, right? And, and so one of the things that I find interesting about what you're saying and about the way you're talking about these people is that, is that yeah, especially the fact that they're victimized, like that puts it in a context in my head of like how tragic a life that ends up being, right? It's a cycle of abuse, it repeats itself. And then the punishment is not treatment. The punishment is being like the worst kind of inmate in prison, right? Like I remember sort of, you know, like not that I empathize with, uh, with, uh, Jared Fogle, the guy from Subway, but like when I heard that he got his ass beat, I was like, I don't know. Like that's, is that good? Like it, it, and going into the, the concept that there was a, there's a basic thing that, that seems to, be underlying some of the stuff that you're saying is the concept of when we're talking about how, uh, you know, the, the, in the humanizing Derek Chauvin, like that, I mean, yeah, fuck him, but he's still, a, he's still a person, right? Like, and, and, and I have also felt the impulse of like, yeah, man, I want to, I want to put my knee on the fucking, <laughs> on him and like, what, you know, like fucking, like that's a, a literal feeling that I've had about him. But I do think, and and it, the people do horrible things that we don't understand, right? But you know, in terms of uh, of like punishing, fitting the crime, and like, are we making society better? The idea of is if 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 we take away freedoms, like if we take away his uh, uh, Chauvin's right to due process, then we're losing net freedom in the world, right? We're we're like there's less freedom now. And that's sort of kind of what goes into my my insistence that uh, like all censorship is authoritarian and wrong, right? Like when when we oh, I agree with that completely. When we deplatform tr uh, Donald Trump, we're only setting up the precedents for other people to get deplatformed, and it's never going to be the sources. There's so much misinformation coming from legitimate uh, corporate sources that doesn't get analyzed at all. You know, I just took the fucking vaccine, uh, and, and I took, and I, and I'm excited about it, but ultimately like the Whitney Webb, who's a really good journalist got, uh, got kicked off of Patreon for calling into question the vaccines. And we just got, had issues with the Johnson Johnson. Like now I'm like in this space where I'm like, fuck man, am I one of the idiots? And are the people that didn't get the vaccine, <laughs> were they the smart ones? You know? So, <laughs> so you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. this is really, this is a really interesting conversation. And, 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 uh, and I mean, I, I kind of had a feeling that we were going to agree more than disagree. Like, I don't think we've disagreed once, but, um, but it's interesting, like, it's just an interesting perspective that I think is missing in general. And I think that the reason that I'm like, like, I've had conversations about serious things with people that are artists, but I don't think they take the same 
stances necessarily. So this is a refreshing, like I feel instead of like having to argue one side and the other person argue the other side, I feel like in this conversation, we're getting to like maybe a deeper understanding of something than, than having to advocate and argue. So, um, so yeah, if you, if you can, like, if you can speak to any of what I just rambled about, like, you know, (laughs) no, I think, I think that you're right. I think that philosophically we're probably on the same page. And I like to think that Maybe there's a lot of like-minded people out there because sometimes people do respond to certain things that I say in a way that's very confusing because I thought that, you know, like you said, net freedom is a good thing, right? But that's not everybody's philosophy. But I will say that I think it's interesting, you know, you never know who gets caught up in the criminal system. And I think it's really easy for us to look at other people who are charged or have, you know, done something that you know, looks to be pretty egregious and we want to distance ourselves from them. So we say, you know, fuck them, let's throw the book at them. We want them to go down. And I think it's us grappling with our own inherent kind of, you know, whatever it is to be a human being, whatever it is to have that inside of us and know that, you know, there is, what, what if we had a break? What if we did something that was incredibly dark and sinister? Like, could we, you know, do we have the ability to do that? Oh, we do. We're humans. And I think it's helpful for us to put ourselves on a superior moral plane by looking at news stories and looking at, you know, true crime and saying, well, I would never do that. You know, I would never do that. And I want them to throw the book at that person. But I think it's a reflection on our own insecurity that maybe we would do that. Right. I kind of believe overall the human race. I mean, my dad was kind of the same, like, he was like, we're all monsters. We are all monsters. And that's, we have the gene inside of us <laughs> that makes us that way. So I think I have a lot of empathy because, you know, there, but for the grace of God, go I kind of thing. You know, yeah. I've made mistakes. I could easily have been caught and I could easily have made mistakes that maybe I didn't actually make, but you never know in that split second decision-making what you end up doing as a person. So I think I just have a lot of empathy and I don't care what somebody did and I'm not judgmental and I'm also not offended. And that's, you know, like you can't offend me. You, I'm not going to judge anybody. I'm not going to hate somebody for their political beliefs, even if they differ from mine. I'm not Mm -hmm. out to like call somebody out and say that they're, you know, they're on the right side or the wrong side of any debate, whether it's the vaccine or censorship or anything else. That's just, never been my approach. Right. Yeah. So I think we're similar, definitely. in in being open-minded and wanting more information out there and not just, you know, ascribing <laughs> to certain ideas because the masses seem to be going that way. Right. Yeah. There's a strong sense of critical thought. And I think that that's kind of what I try to book on the show. So I'm, I, I it's actually really exciting to hear that it comes from art. Uh, from from your from your your relationship to art because i mean that is kind of my thesis that like we need to ha- we need to platform more artists right i think that there is a sort of uh capitalist mechanism that makes us think of artists as sort of not successful or irrelevant but like you know i think because of the compulsion to have to make work despite the fact that you have a day job and you're maybe never going to become a fucking famous person, but you still do it because there's something in that practice that makes you, you know, I think that there is something there. So, so yeah, I mean, I really, I, I've, I'm a huge fan of just your Instagram presence. Cause I mean, that's basically the only access I have. The other thing is that like, I am definitely, you know, what you're saying also is part of why I'm like reaching out to you is like, I want, like, I've literally thought like, if I ever get in trouble, I'm going to be like, Hey, Miss <laughs> <Ms>. Palmer, <laughs> can you uh, refer me to somebody out here in LA that you might think can help me? Cause sure. that, that shit is like, you, like it is, um, you know, I think that one of the things that's interesting that's happening right now, I just saw a judge. Oh, they, it, this was so fucking exciting this morning. I just saw a judge over here in California, in L.A., I think it was, uh, ruled that uh, L.A. has to house the people in Skid Row. And and so talking about that, I think that there is uh, a moment now with because of the pandemic and the way that the the gracious government has done nothing to really, like, keep people's jobs secures and, and, and secured and stuff like that, like... there's, um, you know, people are starting to understand that 
it's not necessarily your fault if you're homeless, right? Like yeah. circumstances happen. People don't have uh, support systems that can, you know, make so a lot of, and a lot of people ran away from uh, support systems and families that were the abuse that made them, you know, uh, that, 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 that they can't go back to, uh, right. in, in, in any given circumstance. So, uh, I don't know. Do you, are you hopeful that like that, you know, uh, prisoners are becoming, do you see a change in like prisoners or like, uh, inmates being humanized a little bit more? Is there a shift in that? Or is that just me being more considerate about it? And, and it's not a general thing. Yeah. I mean, I think to humanize them, they need to not be inmates and not be prisoners. They need to be people again outside and free. And so then basically the question is, are we moving toward decarceration, right? Are we moving toward a different penal philosophy that maybe is more rehabilitative? I am nothing if not optimistic. You can't be a downer and like really, you know, kind of jaded and cynical and do what I do every day when I wake up. You gotta be like, this is really making a difference. And I mean, I, <laughs> you know, you That's the to. difference between it's art and criminal art. defense. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, my dad is very cynical. I'm, I'm a happy person, you know, I, yeah. I'm a very happy person and I'm very cognizant of that. And I'm very grateful, very grateful, you know, especially right. because I come from poverty and now I've made something of myself. So I appreciate things on a level. So if you are an artist, if you have a kid, you know, maybe they're going <laughs> to and become really successful, right? That's the other thing that can happen with the generation. I need to have a kid right fucking yeah, now. <laughs> I'm not going to have a kid. You know, honestly, out of all my siblings, only one decided to have kids. And I think it's because yeah. of our upbringing. So it's going to stop with me. But, you know, I'm a happy, yeah. well-adjusted. But I think, you know, I, I, I am optimistic. And what I do is because I don't do systemic litigation, because I'm not trying to reform these issues of mass incarceration, I'm just taking one person at a time. Yeah. Right. So if I represent you, I make you feel like a human. I'm who you call 24 seven. I walk you through everything without shame or guilt or judgment. I'm your counselor. I'm your advocate. I am by your side through all of it. And if you can make one person feel humanized, if you can make one person feel valued despite a mistake of whatever magnitude they may have made, then then you feel like, okay, I am making in this situation the system better. But I don't have on my shoulders this burden of can I decarcerate America? That's for people that do systemic litigation. Good for them. You know, I represent one person at a time. No, but I just meant in terms of public perception. Do you think, or, or do you, do you feel like there is a shift towards uh, humanizing uh, people that have uh, come afoul of the law more right, so than right. like obviously in the eighties, right? Yeah, I think so. I think that one thing that's been interesting is like obviously I was raised with this rhetoric about police brutality and don't trust the government, and everyone thought we were crazy. And I do feel like in the past. I mean, literally a couple of years that people finally are recognizing some issues that have gone on for 50 years that do result in homelessness and, you know, unnecessarily punitive prison sentences. Like, I do think that we are becoming as a culture and as a society a little more evolved when it comes to understanding underlying issues that may lead somebody to commit a crime, be incarcerated, be homeless, have all these needs, rather than just saying like, get a job, or if you don't do the crime, then you won't do the time. Like, I think we are moving away from that rhetoric a bit, but like, mm. how long did it take? Like 50, 50 plus years, <laughs> you know? Like, we still have a long way to go, but certainly I think we're more, forg- I believe we're moving toward more forgiveness and understanding, right? I have yeah. to believe that. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things that I think uh, humanizes people is sort of having thing, having interactions with police uh, videotaped, right? And it's funny because one of the things that you didn't think of when uh, you thought of Big Brother is that Little Brother was going to be watching back with cameras, right? I love so, that. I love that. Yeah. So, so it's 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 pretty it's it's a really interesting time i mean there's so many things that we could get into i i I, you know i definitely don't want to hit anything that's like too too fresh right now like obviously chauvin you know there's so much shit going on like the idea that like anything is resolved there have been so many like incidents on the day of the day you know a few days later and uh and i do still see you you know I, i it's it boggles my mind when you see people like, uh, you know, Li Fang or Li Fang from The Intercept and all these different like adversarial journalists still sort of like 
equivocating and being like, oh, well, but this was okay. <laughs> you know, in this case, it was fine. And it's like, I don't know. So just, the one thing I will say is that uh, I forget Leslie from Struggle Sesh. He's a, he's a podcaster um, that, that does stuff with Katie Helper. Uh, he pointed out that in other countries, they train people how to disarm people with knives, like as a matter of course. And so the, the, there is the, the, there's still so much work to de-propagandize people in terms of this stuff, right? Like the, 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 the idea that just because someone has a knife and they're close to somebody else, like, you know, yeah. that, that, that the only option is to, to, you know, it, it, it amazes me that we just had this thing. It's almost like there's like this, like freedom because Chauvin got, uh, convicted to just sort of be like... Oh, you know, it, not all cases are as bad as George Floyd. And it's like, they kind of fucking are, though. You know, yeah. like anytime a cop shoots somebody, that's a problem. Yeah, I think we have to, you know, it's kind of like two separate issues when I think about it, because with um, Michaela Bryant, right? So yeah. she was a young girl, 15, maybe just turned 16, who was shot and killed by police the day the verdict was announced. With that case, if, you know, again, like law is not morality and we can't look to the criminal system to fix these problems. And so I think some people thought, well, let's prosecute this cop, right? This is what we're doing now. I mm -hmm. honestly don't think they're gonna bring any charges against him because that case, I think the, the district attorney is gonna say, well, there's proportional force here, right? So yeah. the, you know, the issue is not, let's have more prosecutions. I think the issue is reform what police do in our communities, right? So. Yeah. I think it can't be so retroactive. It can't be like backwards looking like, oh, now somebody's killed. So let's let's prosecute them and throw them in jail. No, 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 no. We need to kind of like you were saying, maybe maybe change our current use of force, you know, policies, yeah, yeah, yeah. reform police as you know, before any of this happens. But I don't like, you know, I don't think that officer is going to be prosecuted. Right. I don't think he is. And I, I don't think, think so either. But but at this but 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 yeah I and I and I and I appreciate you sort of because um, I didn't I didn't real like the yeah the problem like you helped me point pinpoint the problem a little bit better I mean I still I get what you're saying like well, it's probably it's not like the Chauvin case where the, uh, they could get the manslaughter because even in that case they had to go for they couldn't go for like first degree because then they would have had to prove premeditation so. From an argument standpoint, it's I can understand that, but my I guess my outrage is with people sort of uh, defending the uh, the notion that the only option is to to kill a person with a knife rather than. Right. And, and we also have lots and lots of uh, understanding and can point to anecdotal, you know, previous arrests of suspects who were armed who weren't killed. Right, like there have yeah. been, for example, school shootings when maybe the perpetrator is a young white man and he always seems to be apprehended without issue, right? So yeah. I think that the, the, the differences in police conduct given those kind of situations is interesting. But my, it's not so much pinpointing the problem, but it's pinpointing the solution, right? It's not, yeah. well, we'll prosecute them. Well, we'll just throw the yeah. book at them. Well, that's based on our current statutory schemes. We can't always do that. Instead, we need to, before these things happen, maybe reconsider, you know, police's role in that type of incident. But I just, you know, when people get so outraged, like you need to prosecute him. It's like, again, yeah. the government and bringing a prosecution into a bad situation doesn't, in my opinion, in my philosophy, change that bad situation. No. And that, that's a, that's a new piece to the, to the thing that I, uh, that you've contributed to me. Cause I, I hadn't thought about that element. I just thought about the, I thought it, I didn't think of it from, a, like you said, a legal standpoint. I just thought it from a moral standpoint. I'm like, maybe we shouldn't be defending. I don't, I like, yeah, we probably shouldn't be, uh, or it's, it, it, for many reasons, systemic as well, it's not going to make sense to prosecute this person, but at the same time, to defend that that's the only course of action for a cop to take is pretty fucking extreme. That's radical, right? That, here's the thing. I don't think we're radicals. I think that they're, <laughs> the whole fucking system is radical, yeah, man. We're, <laughs> we're not radical. We're just responding to the radicalism that inherently exists <laughs> systems and structures in america yeah. we're just <laughs> responsive we're not initiating any radicalism Fair well, 
All right, well, let's wrap it up because I don't want to take too much of your time. You've got classes to teach. You're, uh, I'm also overwhelmed by how much you get done in a day <laughs> and find it aspirational. But um, so uh, thank you so much for being here. I really, I, I would love to have you back. I'm sure there's going to be maybe somewhere down the line, maybe a year from now, I'm going to be like, I need to talk to Molly and figure this shit out because <laughs> there's moral ambiguity and 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 I, it is actually really helpful to sort of separate morality from legality because I think uh, and and because especially the way you do it you add some level you you're 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 not the 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 in, it, you do it in the interest of adding humanity and 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 empathy so I really appreciate that I really appreciate you taking the time. I really appreciate uh, that that you are a uh, uh, artist sister in in the in the cause for <laughs> for critical thinking. And uh, is there anything that you'd like to promote? Uh... Well, I mean, if you found me through my Instagram, I do. You know, feel, people should feel free to follow my Instagram for more like really long form captioned uh, philosophies and manifestos on the current yeah. state of criminal. Uh, the criminal system and those accused and those defending them. And, some and I, highly, I, I, I highly recommend uh, that people do that. And we're at what's my thesis on oh, uh, Molly Palmer. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I just assume, it's such a part of my life, your Instagram that I forgot to plug it. So it's uh, at, at Molly Palmer. And, uh, and, uh, what's it called? And then now I'm starting to branch off and follow other people, uh, (laughs) that that are associated with you. So it's, it's pretty cool. Like I'm, I'm following, I'm, I'm just going to be like so well connected with lawyers by the time I get in trouble. Ones though. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I know some in LA. I'll help you out if and when the time comes. I mean, not that like I don't want this to be used in court and be like, oh, he was premeditating. <laughs> <laughs> this is more in terms of like if I ever uh, you know fuck up by accident. You're anyway, wrongfully accused, right? Wrongfully if you're- accused. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're already doing your job. <laughs> Um, and then uh, we're at What's My Thesis, and you can uh, catch us on YouTube. And if you'd like to rate and review us on Instagram or uh, on uh, iTunes, uh, give us five stars only. <laughs> Thank you so much, and uh, have a lovely rest of your day.